everybody. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with Isaac Young. Isaac's a northeastern hunter that really enjoys tracking, but in this episode, we talk about a number of different things. We definitely touch on tracking, but we also talk about setting up on sign when the conditions aren't necessarily great for getting on a track and following it. I really enjoy talking with Isaac, and I plan to do more podcasts with him in the future, so if there's ever anything that you'd like to hear us discuss, feel free to let us know, and we'll try to make that conversation happen. Also, over on our YouTube channel, we've got a bunch of turkey hunts going up right now. Turkey season's right around the corner, and we'll be going on this year's turkey tour really soon, so we've got some of last year's turkey hunts that we have saved up going up on the channel now, and if you have any interest, maybe those turkey hunting videos will help get you a little bit more fired up also if you have any interest in our turkey calls we've still got our mouth calls available either come in a three pack or now you're going to be able to buy them as individuals so if there's one that you like more than the others or maybe you lost one out of your three pack now you can just go buy that single call rather than having to buy the whole three pack i personally really like using the alpha been sitting here calling with this thing non-stop this off season been doing a lot of editing recently and just sit here and practice my calls all day i think this time of the year is great for that so like i said if you have any interest you can click the description of this podcast we got a link down there to our website and you can check out all the things that we have to offer from casual wear like hats and t-shirts to camo and hunting gear that we use all the time when we're out in the field all right enough with the intro hope you guys enjoy this one let's get isaac on the line Thanks for coming on first off. I mean, yeah, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to this just because last time we talked, our conversation was awesome. And I feel like I was really introduced to your like, focus on thinking outside of the box. And I really yeah. like that, you know, not just, <clears throat> I guess, going with kind of the rule book of, you know, Northeastern hunting. And I feel yep. that kind of taking that, you know, a step further and just talking about different things. I mean, uh, I'd like to talk about scouting. Um, yep. also talk about, uh, this came to mind the other day. I was doing a podcast with Greg and we were talking about getting the shot while making a stalk mm-hmm. like bow hunting. So yep. I kind of started thinking, man, it would be fun to pick your brain a little bit about making the shot in a tracking situation. But I also yep. want to hear stories from this season and the thing that I guess comes to mind first was um, it appeared that you shot a buck. One of, the, one of the bucks you shot this season was running a scrape line, and you were set up on that scrape mm-hmm. line with no snow, yep. correct? So there was snow. Oh, okay. There, yeah, there was snow. And thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I, really I got appreciate pretty long-minded yeah, there. No it's, no, it's okay. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me. Um, I really appreciate it. I and yeah, we did have a good conversation last time and I'm, I'm really excited to, to do this one. So yes, I, I did get a buck. Um, it was Vermont and it was the very last day of rifle season. And, um, I don't get a ton of time off to hunt from work. Mm-hmm. So basically our last week of rifle rifle season is on Thanksgiving week. And usually I get Thursday, Friday off from my employer and so I get four days to hunt in a row basically but that Wednesday we had some snow come in and I asked my boss I was like can I can I have this 
Wednesday, you know, yeah, I know it's vacation, whatever, but can, and, and he let me have it. So basically I had, I had five days in a row, which is like super rare for me. So I was like, man, Tuesday night, I, I didn't even like barely sleep. I was so excited, you know? And, um, uh, I went in that Wednesday, I went into an area I've never been to before, fresh six inches of snow. It was about 40 degrees raining about as good as tracking conditions get. And I went all through this piece, um, you know, probably a four or 5,000 acre chunk. And I could not find a big buck track, like uh, a track that I wanted to take. So I pulled out at like 11 o'clock and I drove a half an hour to a new, another area that I'm very familiar with. And I know there's some good bucks in that area just from scouting and, and Intel. And I went in there and right off the, like right off the bat, like less than 200 yards from my truck, I caught a big buck track, like a big, no doubter. I want, I want this buck kind of thing. Yeah. And so I got on that buck track and what it appeared to be, what the situation was is he came down off this mountain and he got in with a few does and it looks like they played patty cake around in this little swamp. And then they just took off the buck with the doe just took off and he just started dogging her. So at this point I'm, you know, I'm not at a jog, but I'm about as briskly as you can walk after this deer. And he took me all over the place and he took me on this one flat and it was really, really hooked up. Lots of rubs from what it appeared to be different bucks, big bucks, little bucks. And there was also a lot of scrapes right in this one area. So I continued on the buck, but I definitely, I took note of that area because when you're hunting low deer density areas like I do, when you find an area like that, that has like a super high concentration of sign, there's something going on there. And at, at the end of this story, I'll kind of tell you like why I think the concentration of sign was there. But anyways, so I keep on this buck, I'm tracking him. And, uh, I took him all right until dark until I couldn't see anything. And then I headed out. I didn't get him. Um, he was too far ahead of me and they were going too fast. I couldn't catch up. That happens a lot tracking. So Thursday comes the next day. Um, and then, or, so I got that wrong. It would have been, yeah, yes. So Wednesday, Thursday comes Thanksgiving day. I go out and I go to a new area, another new area. I didn't go back after that buck. Um, I went to another new area and I was looking for a buck that I've been after for three years. And he was like a, a giant eight pointer. I think I've actually sent you game camera photos of him. He has like these big, huge, tall tines, like 12, 13 inch tines, like just like a mega giant for the area. And um, I, I went all over God's country looking for this buck. And I ended actually, I ended up finding one of his antlers on that day from the year before, That's crazy. which was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I could just see three tines sticking up through the snow as I'm going through this swamp and I pick it up and I'm like, Oh my, you know, so that was cool. And, um, anyways, I, I never found that buck track. And so Thursday I was in that piece looking for him, never found him Friday, same thing. And I did like 50 miles in those two days looking for that specific buck. Or it would have been, so the three days. So I did 50 miles in the three days tracking 
couldn't find, you know, what I was looking for, couldn't get lucky, whatever. So then on Friday night, it got really cold. On Wednesday, remember I was telling you how it was 40 degrees and, and raining. raining on the fresh snow? Yeah. So Friday, it got cold and the snow just turned to absolute crap. Mm -hmm. And it's the end of the season. And there was a the whole bunch of other tracking stories before this, you know, and I just, I didn't get one tracking, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I figured, you know, I thought about it real hard that Friday night. I was like, you know, my best shot at getting a buck is going back to that flat before daylight on Saturday, second to last day, mm -hmm. and sit there dark to dark, dark to dark. And like, if you know me, that is like torture, but, oh, yeah. but I, I, I really pride myself in getting a Vermont buck and I haven't done it in a few years. I haven't done it. So I, I thought that was my absolute best opportunity. So I went in there Saturday and I sat all day right before dark five does came through. I was like, all right, I guess I'm coming back tomorrow. So I went back on Sunday and sure enough, right around 11 in the morning, I heard something break to my left. And it was amazing because I wasn't paying attention because the snow was so crunchy. I thought I was going to be able to hear deer coming from like a mile away. Mm -hmm. But this kind of goes to show you how sneaky and how amazing the bucks are at being like ninjas. Yeah. Because I never heard him coming. I heard something like a twig snap to my left and I look off to my left and the buck's hooking a tree and he snapped a branch on the tree as he's rubbing it. And I'm like, whoa, he's here. he snuck up on me. And well, he was here. So there was kind of a wet spot that kind of ran down through to my left and he worked his way all the way up that wet spot. So that way he wouldn't make any noise, I'm assuming. And so he was, so I turned and he's hooking that tree, working it, which was really cool to watch. And I just let him come because he was quartering to me and I let him get to like 20 yards and I shot him and then he kept coming towards me and I shot him again. He died like 10 feet from me. And it was so awesome. It felt really good, you know, just because I had found that spot tracking mm -hmm. and I, and I remembered it and I went back there and I did what I had to do. You know, I've I've killed him on crunchy snow before, but I just knew my odds were much lower. Mm -hmm. So, and um, yeah, so he had, I like to call them double barrel scrapes. I don't know. I just what I call them. It's when there's two scrapes under the same licking branch. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's different bucks or the same buck or just there's so many bucks working it that there's just two. But he had, there's two big scrapes right under this hemlock tree on an old logging road. And I was set up you know, 20, 30 yards from that scrape. And sure enough, right after I shot him or, or right before I shot him, he walked right through that scrape. So he didn't paw it out. He didn't work it. So this is, I think it was like November 28th or 9th or something like that. He's just walking through it. So that just goes to show you, you know, they're not always working the scrape. Sometimes they might just walk right through them or walk by them. But what time of the day yeah, was that? So. 11 a.m. 11 a.m. 11 a.m. He came. Bluebirds, skies, sun shining, like just unbelievable. That is sweet. Yeah. Pretty interesting. It makes you wonder too. Um, you know what was he doing before? You know, was he mm. over there with a the doe and was picking up and going to find the next? Was he with the doe still and was just trying to make sure nobody was in? you know nobody was around and that's why he rubbed rather than 
scraped, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting to, you know, kind of, I don't know, imagine a variety of different things that he could have been doing, but all in all, a pretty cool story and a, or a really cool story, a really cool strategy that's obviously not your favorite, but something Mm -hmm. that in that situation made sense and it worked. Yeah, and my theory of what he was doing is down below where I was is a really, really thick spruce patch. And what I think he was doing is I think, and it was also a big moon the night before, so I think what he had, I think he was running all over heck, crazy that night. And I think he probably laid down right around daylight, mm-hmm. and I think he had been on his belly until he couldn't take it anymore, which happened to have been midday. Yeah. With 11 a.m. And he want, he wanted some more. So he got up and he went, you know, in that flat, the reason, and, and I said when I was telling the story, I'd come back. And the reason why I think it was so hot is because there was a lot of guys that were hunting above it on the mountain. Mm-hmm. But where I was, it's all landlocked with private from the road private that you cannot access Mm -hmm. so to access it you actually have to go down quite a few benches Mm -hmm. to get to this area and guys just weren't going up and over and down and you know it was closer to the road than you'd think it's gonna be Mm -hmm. but that's where the people were not sure so i i think that's why it was so hot um you know, and it was kind of lower and it seemed we haven't had a mass crop in friggin' three years in the Northeast. So like the deer just seemed to be lower in general lately. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think that's why the deer were down there. Interesting. Oh. Another thing that I often uh, come back to when I'm thinking about like those midday moves or, you know, why would he get up and make that move is uh, it seems just hunting a variety of different places. It seems like there's a consistent theme to movement midday as well. There's usually some sort of change, and sometimes those changes are super subtle, but like, I don't know, a lot of times you'll see it when the wind picks up or um, the wind mm-hmm. maybe was really, really calm all morning, which a lot of times you get on those bluebird days, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11 o'clock, whatever, the wind starts making some sort of change and it almost seems like they either feel comfortable making the move Mm -hmm. or they also are making the move after the does are, they, the does have kind of done their thing for the morning where, you know, it's not necessarily uncommon to be in a setup and see a doe group come through you know, going back to their bedding area still at like nine thirty, right. right? Like that's fairly common. Mm-hmm. You don't see bucks doing it as much, but it does seem like they let those does get back settle and then make their move because they can find them easier. Right. So yeah, that could be, I mean, yeah. that's, that's all just a theory. And I mean, the situation right. in which the buck you shot could have been doing any number of things, but Right. There has been a consistency I've seen in that, especially in November time frame where the bucks mm-hmm. tend to make those moves a little bit later. And it, you know, back when I was a kid, I'd be like, well, why is a deer, you know, why is a buck moving in the middle of the day? It just, 
That's what's yeah. crazy about the rut. And it's like, well, there has to be a reason. It's not just some there random be, move. Yeah. Like there has to be some mm-hmm. sort of reason. And um, it seems like those two things are factors at least. Mm-hmm. Um, the double barrel scrape. It's yeah. really interesting that you bring that up. I feel like I try to talk about this often, but it's it's kind of hard to sometimes know if, people even know what the hell I'm talking about but like what does the size of a scrape mean to you is a question I ask a lot of folks and they're like well it depends and like something that always comes to my mind is I don't necessarily call it the double barrel scrape I will be calling it that now because it's a badass (laughs) nickname but a double barrel scrape to me multiple under a tree or like yeah another cool one is just all the way around a tree Mm. and it seems like like in Iowa, for example, we would see them a lot on uh, pin oak trees that were young that had a had yep. low-hanging branches all the way around them. Or yep. in the northeast, it's hemlocks. Um, down yep. south, it's like holly trees. I see it a lot on those. But yep. it's really interesting because those those types of scrapes generally are something that catch my eye more than just a regular old scrape. Unless that regular old scrape is really huge big around yeah yeah to me i put a little bit of weight on that what about you oh yeah i i definitely do and and i think the best scrapes are definitely they're there either because of a geological reason or a uh food reason Mm -hmm. in the northeast i found so like they're definitely not random those like big double barrels are like the ones that like I'll hunt over it's, it's because there's like a cliff on the upper side of it. And then like a waterfall on the lower side. And there's like one little passage that they can get through the scrape that's there. That's the double barrel mm-hmm. or triple barrel. It goes all the way around the tree. Like you're saying, because they have to go through that area. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's what makes a good scrape in my opinion is like, do the deer like are they like kind of like forced through that area you know but um yeah i definitely do put a lot of i guess weight on the size and you know another thing too is like if you can and and i know guys talk about this all the time but like you can see exposed roots Mm -hmm. in the ground because then that sucker is getting pawed on every year if there's roots showing or grass growing in the summertime in the scrape. Cause I'll see that a lot of times in the summertime is when you see the little grass patch off on the, in the distance, it's because it's bare ground, <laughs> you know, from being worked all the time. But yeah, that's, you know. that's seeing them like in Turkey season or in the summer. Yeah. That's when you're like, yeah, that's definitely something that's being hit all the time where you can come across mm-hmm. one where it's like, yeah, they probably scrape here. Maybe you see a little licking branch, but the ground's not like cut out. But when you see that mm-hmm. big divot in the ground and the leaves are still clear, even though they haven't hit it for months, that's when, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's something different. Something that I also think plays into the funnel thing that you're talking about. And I, I kind yep. of came up with this theory hunting more open, states is it also seems like it's a bit of a visual thing like yeah for example if you are hunting out in the plains of of kansas and you kind of got a brushy mm-hmm. draw thicket and that's kind of the bedding area and this is a real mm-hmm. basic concept or draw up of a, a bedding to food situation you get that thicket then over here you've got your you know field 
cut cornfield. Yep. From that bedding area to the cut cornfield, there's probably going to be a bunch of different trails going in that direction. But generally, if there's like one beacon that they can follow, they have this tendency yep. to go towards that. And I even feel like in the timber setting, they do something mm-hmm. similar, whether that be with a scrape or like a signpost rub. When you see, you know, that one pine tree over there or yeah. use the reference of the holly tree down south, those have mm-hmm. green leaves all the time. So when you're looking through the woods and everything's brown and fallen and there's that one holly tree, there's yep. usually a damn scrape underneath of it. And it has yep. to be some sort of visual thing. I mean, Sticks maybe, out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And the hemlock's yeah. the same way. You know, you look at, yeah. you look at uh, a bunch of, you know timber that's got leaves falling off and then you see one evergreen it's like and and it's, it seems yep. to be also why you see a lot of rubs on little pine trees stuff like that i mean they have some yep. sort of visual uh i guess yeah beacon on them and it's like yeah you can't miss that thing so everybody goes and hits it and i, I feel like that's kind of an interesting uh tendency you see in in deer too no i think i think you hit it right on the right on the head i think that's exactly why they tend to work those specific trees or scrape under specific trees, I think is for the visual reason, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, it's not random. Once you really break it down and you start to think about the best scrapes that you've ever found, you know, like I can remember all the best ones I found and they're always very like the trees unique for the area Mm -hmm. or like you said, yeah, like the best signposts I've ever found. It's like, one brown ash and everything else is maple yeah it's like that one brown ash is the signpost because it's the only soft tree around mm-hmm. you know so yeah. i wonder too this is a this is kind of something that just popped into my mind and something i've been trying to think about a little bit more or f- focus on a little bit more is like it's no secret that a mature buck likes to stick to cover and mm-hmm. I, it just kind of dawned on me right at now as we're talking about it. It might also be cover for them, like a hemlock, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, just as well as I do, like you're standing out in the in the trees that are getting all the sunlight, and he's trying to look into those hemlocks. It's a pain in the ass to see what's underneath those trees. Well, if he's standing yep. there spending all this time, you know, digging around in the ground, putting his antlers up in the branches. Mm-hmm. probably feels a little bit more secure knowing that he's in a little patch of cover. Go back to the other example I used with Iowa. Those pin oak trees are just, they, they hold their leaves for a lot longer than most of the other trees in the area. They've got consistent cover there all year. Cover. So they start scraping yeah. it early. And even when everything else goes yeah. away, they can stand in a place like that on the edge of cover. Yeah. And if they need to yeah. escape quickly, boom they're safe and those big bucks are, are gonna try to keep yeah. to that as much as possible they're ninjas mm-hmm. they're so sneaky it's amazing like oh, I, yeah. I cannot get over how effortlessly a big buck can move through the timber quietly and like sneakily i don't know if that's a word but it's <laughs> just, it always when i sit like when I do sit and like, like I just said with that buck that I killed, I didn't hear him. He was just there. 
And I mean, you could have heard a man walk through that flat literally a half a mile away. It was like just crunch city. And like that just goes to show you how good they are at being sneaky. And and I think you're right. And that's like a lot of times we have a lot of scrapes under beech trees. Yep. That's a good one. Beech trees, they hold their leaves until February sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like all the other trees have dropped their leaves and they have that like kind of blanket. Like you said, it might be a yeah. They might feel comfortable. Yep. Doing yeah, my it. my grandpa's property in eastern Ohio has tons of beech trees on it, and it's yeah mm-hmm. very consistent. That you'll find those scrapes under those as well. That's but that's another great example that kind of touches on all those things: the visual, something yep. different, the uh, like concealment that they get out of it, and it's it's and. You know, obviously, too, that funnel aspect of it is always a part of it as mm-hmm. well, um, or some sort of edge or anything like that. But um, so, like, if you're scouting, then obviously you found this place tracking. If you're scouting, yep. are you pinning things like that to go back to throughout the season to either cut a track or just see if the sign's hot? Or, like, what's your approach this time of the year for? what you're going to be doing like damn near a year from next year. Yeah. So I definitely like, like places that I scout that are new to me. If I find areas like that, I definitely will go back to, and um, I may run a game camera on an area like that. And in the Northeast, I, you know, I really, I try to hunt older age class bucks for the challenge and um you know it's fun i'm a i'm a deer nerd you know kind of like i really like to hunt older bucks and in the northeast if you don't run cameras a lot of times you just you're never going to know the age structure of what that area has to offer i mean you can like literally i've seen it you can find an area that's just ripped up unbelievable but a lot of the bucks are year and a half, two and a half, maybe a three and a half here and there. But if you go 10 miles down the road, you can find the same exact kind of sign, the same kind of smaller diameter trees being rubbed, the same looking scrapes. But there might be a couple bucks there that are in the five, six, seven year old category. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I don't use a lot of the cameras that I set out, like the ones that I set out last summer. I won't check until this time of year. So like, I don't really use cameras to hunt. I just, I really like to use them for like identifying the areas that have that age structure that I would like to chase. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I find an area like that, like you're talking about in the spring, I'll probably, you know, put a camera on it, Mm -hmm. um, on that big scrape. And then I'll check it the following year. You know, and then if if it's something Basically that let like, it run a whole fall winter course, yeah, let it run a whole fall, and um, if there's bucks in there that I think are old, you know, like I'll I'll definitely spend more time in that area. Mm-hmm. And I, I was telling you a little bit before the podcast, like with, with the bucks in Vermont that I hunt are very like small in comparison to like Midwestern bucks or Western bucks. Um, in Vermont, on average, we shoot between 100 and 150 bucks that score over 110 inches a year. Yeah, that's a wild which is statistic. Like a, <laughs> it's a very, very low number. 
So like, you know, antlers is not really what I'm about. I'm about, you know, I'd love to shoot a heavier buck, you know, cause it's the Northeast and that's kind of like what our antlers are. We, we all want to shoot the 200 pound buck, but, right. um, I just kind of geek out over older bucks mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. And, um, like that buck I shot this year over that scrape, I got a picture of him in 2019 and he was either one or two years old then from what I could tell. But he was always very unique. His antlers went straight up off his head and he, they kind of turned out forward like this. And he was very, very unique where all the other deer kind of had, you know, like normal crown, kind of the, the rack kind of crowns out. You know, they start as a four and then they're a six and then they're a little bigger and bigger. He was always straight up and curled down and forward. So, um, yeah, and what's interesting super about unique looking, dude. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. And he doesn't even he doesn't score 110 inches. You know, which is which is really cool. But to me, I could care less what he scores. I just know he's an older buck, mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have passed him if if I had just seen him for the first time either. I mean, he passes my expectations of what I want. You know, but same. Um, <laughs> yeah, but what's what's interesting about that deer and cameras? Because this is kind of something that's cool. I had a camera about two hundred yards from where that buck was working that flat a lot mm -hmm. and where I had the camera that was 200 yards away I had only had one photo of him last fall and it was in the middle of the night so if I was going off the intel the intel of that camera 200 yards away from where I shot him you would have never been in there hunting that deer you would have been like oh this sucks I, I mean I had different bucks on that camera but it was not like where I thought he was going to be and where I had the camera set up wasn't where he actually was, mm -hmm. you know, but I found him from tracking and that's why the whole camera thing, I've heard your whole, like the way you look at them and stuff. And I think you're totally correct about the way you think it messes with your hunting Oh yeah, because it to it totally 100% does. And you know, if I was, let's say if I was in an area that had, a better age structure in the entirety of the area or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I don't think I would run cameras, but I think in the Northeast, if you would like, if you want to be on older bucks all the time, you kind of have to run them just to find that age structure that you're wanting. Oh, you're going to get me on this trail camera thing, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So, Down the so, rabbit hole. So I think that um, I agree with that. I, I would agree with that anywhere, too. I yep. think the my biggest beef with it is just that it it gets to a certain point where, like, it still ultimately is going to take away some amount of, it always will take away some amount of investigating that mm -hmm. will get you to the point where you're like, okay, that just is where he's at. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I'm not saying either that I think that that's the worst thing in the world. The part that really right. freaks me out about cameras more than anything is like, as more of us use them and you go into yeah. places that have smaller areas, Unlike, yeah. unlike what you're hunting because that is a huge, exactly. huge like advantage to northeast that northeastern hunters have eastern yeah. hunters in general in some of those big big public areas when you have a lot of room mm -hmm. to roam mm -hmm. you know people can put 
a lot of tree trail cameras and stuff out there that you don't see but when you're doing it on yeah. these little areas you know across the country doesn't really matter yep. where and all of a sudden they're just popping up everywhere that's the part that kind of gets weird to me where it's like that's really what i'm more worried about is not necessarily whether right. somebody uses them for whatever reason it's more yep. that all of a sudden you go no, no, no. you go to, yeah, back, you no, go I to a place you. you love hunting and son of a gun's got a trail camera on every single finger ridge and it's just like that is that's weird man it gets weird weird. (laughs) it's it's weird and 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 a lot of i listen to a lot of the podcasts and in the media whatever like i watch a lot of youtube videos in the northeast specifically the mountains we are so insulated from all of your guys's issues like we just don't deal with any of that like i did 243 miles in the timber this year hunting i saw zero game cameras zero you know what i mean so it's like well it's it's just totally different up here you know like and i totally understand where you're coming from where like guys have cell cameras plastered everywhere and it's like i get it it also gets here's the other part about that that i gotta add to it is like it gets praise like to me, it is mm-hmm. a little weird when it's like you're trying to, you're like, oh man, you know, this is, this is an interesting piece of content. Like I'm going to see what this, this, you know, individual has to say. It's like they got tons of success and then it's just like, I run 49 cell cameras all year. It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, well, you lost me there. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it dude, kind of uh, becomes uh, like, well, yeah, no, like, no kidding. You found some good bucks. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm not surprised. Yeah. No, I'm I not saying that doesn't take I, work either. Yeah. It's just like, no, that's not yeah. what personally I want to get out of the experience, A. And B, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, I think a part of it is this, uh, like, feeling of really tapping into the past is what I like about not mm-hmm. using them is, and, and and we we can't talk about trail cameras this whole time either because <laughs> no no it's okay I mean I, I love the, I love the conversation but so. but here's here's what I really yeah. really like is like I look, remember back when you know I was I was reading books or like articles and you know my dad would like say you know hey these guys are really you know you should really read this this book like the Wenzel brothers mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. uh, shoot there's another one that I. Oh, dang it. I'm drawing a blank here. Fred Bear. Fred Bear. I mean, all mm-hmm. any really, any hunter, any hunter, though, I guess before, yeah. you know, our our time, really, or our mm-hmm. 20s, Technology. I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. when I was a teenager, even, this wasn't as much of a, a thing. But as time's gone on, it's just become such a focus. And to me, there's a lot of like woodsmanship skills that will never be mm-hmm. learned just because of that technology. And because mm-hmm. I'm making the choice now to refuse it, I know that I won't get mm-hmm. stunted. I may not shoot yeah. as many as many deer or as many big bucks as the person that does, but that's not necessarily my goal. My goal is to have those experiences where I say, this is it. That track, mm-hmm. you can't deny that track or... Yep. You know, you're looking at a rub and it's like, well, he's got to have a long time because, you know, he's touching the, that other tree behind it. Well, he couldn't yeah. do that if he was a short-timed buck. You know, those types of clues I yeah. think are cool and are getting lost in, in 
the modern day hunting world and truthfully those are the things that as you continue to learn them which you still are you still yep. are because you cover so much mm-hmm. freaking ground but those mm-hmm. are the types of things in my opinion that actually elevate your game and they're oh, yeah. getting completely missed it's like we're not talking about yep. what that rub looks like anymore we're not talking about double barrel scrapes we're just talking about yep you know I guess how many like how many cell cameras you can run and that just gets mm-hmm. it really just gets to where like I feel like well okay I guess I'll just go scout and that's where I'll that's where I'll pick up something because otherwise it doesn't it doesn't relate very well to most people either because like honestly most mm-hmm. people aren't gonna pay for you know however many cell cameras we're talking and, yeah. and I guess I don't really have a problem with people doing it except for it just you know, it kind of clogs up public land, you know, that's the part. That, sure. That kind in of the areas out. that you, that you like to, that others, not just me, way. you know, others, yeah. all not of you, us, no, I, yeah. you know, yeah. But it's yeah, like down in that country. I get it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm, I feel like I'm the bad guy when this conversation comes up. Cause it's just like, no, 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 no. You I, don't like it. And we all do no, it. No. You're wrong. No, no. <laughs> and I don't know. No, I know I, you I, don't I, think that necessarily, yeah. but some of my friends no. genuinely do. <laughs> yep. No, I, I, and I could see where maybe they'd think that way, but I think you are right. You are going to be way better off if you try to become a better woodsman, the organic way. Mm-hmm. You're going to be better off anywhere you go in the country. You're going to be a better deer hunter. If you rely on cameras, you are going to lose a lot of those skills that you acquire without them. And I'll give guys a secret in the Northeast. If, if guys are listening to this from the Northeast, if you run a million cell cameras, if you run a lot of trail cameras and you're trying to hunt off of that data, 99% of the time, if you get a picture of a big buck in the fall, and you're not there, you're too late, buddy. Yeah. You're too late. <laughs> Your opportunity is out the window. And that's why I don't check the cameras that I set until the springtime. You know, I use them because I want to see what's what's in there. But if you try to use them in the Northeast where the deer, man, I'm telling you, if there's unpatternable whitetails, we got them. Mm-hmm. We got them, man. They just randomly do stuff. I follow them on the snow all the time. And I'm like, why are you going up over this mountain? It doesn't make any friggin' sense. You know, so like if you're running a cell camera and bloop goes off, you're at work and you look and there's a 140 inch 10 pointer there. And you're like, oh my God, my next seven days I have, I'm going to be right there waiting, buddy. You're too late. Yeah. You're too late. I I think that's a big, a big part of um, why I don't use them personally too, is they just would, I mean, it was just driving me up a wall. Like it, it, Mm -hmm. I already battle enough with going based off of you know whatever factors like condition sign whatever i have a mm-hmm. hell of a time deciding already with that let alone knowing what that sign looks like and then add you know some sort of intel to that that's saying you know he was here then 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 you put that in the mm-hmm. mix and i'm i'm i mean my head is completely off my body just out of control <laughs> but oh if you try to yeah if you try to factor in a camera and then you have oh yeah trust me i it would be i've brutal. been down that road before same you know back when yeah back when uh we still worked at midwest whitetail there was a few years or i guess basically 
there was one year that we used them the most. That was my first year there. And it just real quickly was like, yeah, I mean, they got their benefits, but, mm-hmm. you know, I got buddies, obviously, that still run cameras. And, like, it's interesting always to look at deer pictures. I like that, too. But it just, you know, can really easily spin you out and make you overthink things where sometimes instinctive hunting is best for some people. You know, some people are really mm-hmm. data-driven. And I think that if that's the case, like, yep. that does make more sense. And we're all different. So I'm not trying yep. to say that, like, there is one way of doing it versus another. It's just, you know, when mm-hmm. I always think about, like, when somebody's looking at, uh, you know, uh, pictures and they're, like, putting them into their different categories. Like, I'm out turkey hunting, looking at this scrape, thinking, hmm. Do I need to pin this for, you know, a potential hunt in the mm-hmm. future or am I, you know, leaving it alone or, you know, I'm out scouting in the summer or the winter or whatever. And it's like actually putting boots on the ground is more valuable to me. And even mm-hmm. in season, you know, I don't even really like to, to set up. I mean, same as you. It's like, I don't want to set up unless there's something actually going on. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. And one one last thing with the cameras that I will say in the Northeast too that I definitely pick up on is when I check that camera in the spring or I pull that card, the biggest thing that I can take away from that card pull is when the does come in heat in that area. Because that that's the thing mm-hmm. right there. Like there's some areas that I hunt where every year it seems like the does, you know, they come in heat november 4th time frame but then there's other areas that are like only 20 miles away where it seems like november 25th is the time and i don't know if it's elevation or if it's the food that's in the i I have no idea why but like if if that if i can take away when is this area blowing up yeah you know, then, then I can insert myself to that area and yeah. get on a buck track or, you know, sit in that area, whatever that I like to try to, that's what I try to pick up on mm-hmm. from the cameras. No, that makes too. tons of sense. I think that's probably about the best way you could use it just because it's putting you, it's essentially putting you in the game, especially for the style in that the you game. like, you know, you're going into it with the high odds of being in the game rather than just blumbering mm-hmm. around a spot where nothing's really hot right now nothing's really going on you know maybe there is a big buck in that area sometimes of the year but then if the does are hot Mm -hmm. you know even even a couple miles down the road he's probably just over there right Mm -hmm. now so that's that's certainly valuable but but to that point too when you're not doing it with cameras Mm mm-hmm when you're covering that ground and you did it in this example mm-hmm. that we're talking about, it's like when you're covering that ground mm-hmm. on foot and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, that's, oh man, there's a scrape here. There's a bunch of rubs on this bench. There's a mm-hmm. feeding sign here, whatever. And there's, you know, that kind of that list and you're checking all those boxes of the sign you're looking for that does it too. Yep. And I think that that's, um, why guys like you and I like walking around so much too, is there's always information mm-hmm. to be learned even if you don't yep. necessarily kill a buck or even see a deer or even cut a track yep. or whatever, if you're covering the ground, you're learning stuff that can be revisited. And whether right. that's tomorrow or three weeks from now or five years from now, right. it's in the back of your mind. 
I think that's pretty sweet. Right. Like, hell, I got so many pins in places I've turkey hunted over the years <laughs> that I haven't got back to to deer hunt yet. But it's like, yeah, I know I'll remember those spots when I look at them. And I, had, I started yep. saving them because there was enough situations where I would go back to a place that I'd turkey hunted and not saved enough stuff to where it's like, now yep. I'm saving it even if I, you know, there's a chance I never make it back there. <laughs> right. But... No, I do the same stuff. You know, paying attention to that's important. So I guess yep. an interesting thing that you brought up that I've seen in some situations as well, um, even in Ohio, is the rub thing, where you're not necessarily mm-hmm. seeing any difference in rub type, I suppose, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. one place to the next. Like, I always mm-hmm. talk about the one example um, – of a buck that I shot with my friend Ben during gun season. We bumped him, made a loop around him, and ended up setting up close to some feeding sign. Well, it, within that feeding sign, there were all these, ru- I say all these rubs, and this is something that took some time to even really figure out. And maybe I've talked to you about it before. It seems like something I probably brought up. But like, I really remember feeling super confident on just a handful of rubs, like maybe five yep. to like tops eight. Mm-hmm. Some of them were maybe a month or two old. Some of them were maybe a couple of weeks old. Maybe one of them was a little bit more fresh, but there was kind of a line coming from where we thought he might have went to when we bumped him that led right to that feeding sign. Mm-hmm. Now you take me to a place that I hunted in Iowa and show me five mm-hmm. rubs and I'm bitching my way back to the truck about how there's no deer in that <laughs> spot. I'm not paying yep. a lick of attention to it. And I think that yep. was a hang up for me when I first started spending a lot more time in big woods mm-hmm. is I'm not seeing the same type of sign that I did yeah. in a, a more of a farm country setting where you've got mm-hmm. more distinct pockets of cover to bet or, or you know cover yeah. it which is bedding and then food which is generally a mm-hmm. more open food source like a crop field so again looking at those specific rubs i don't really ever remember there being anything that was like oh man that's a mature buck like it wasn't tall mm-hmm. it wasn't you know on a tree that i could pick up on a tine on the backside on the other tree now i'm not saying that doesn't happen in the big woods because it absolutely does yeah. but This situation is like, I'm talking, looking at like eight trees tops that are about yay big in diameter and the rub is like at my knee. Dude, we were pumped about that. So one of the things that I feel that I had to kind of reel myself in with in the big timber is just like be okay with that and know that that's pretty damn good. And I guess I'm curious of like what your experience with that is and like what your opinion of rub density is. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting topic because I think like you coming from Iowa, when you were hunting that a lot, I think those deer are just so much more concentrated. Mm-hmm. So therefore the competition is much higher mm-hmm. for the bucks. I think there's more activity, more rubbing, just everything more, more, more. And when you spread deer out on a landscape, like just spread them way out and they just don't have as much uh, interaction with each other. 
I think the rub and, and like the rubs and the scrapes and all the like rut sign, it just drops through the friggin' floor. Mm-hmm. So when I find an area that is really hooked up and I think it's, and see the, the thing that I look for is the freshness and the rub. Because if it's rifle season in Vermont, so middle of November, if I find like a little pocket of rubs that I think that were made in September, they're all like dried up, that's no good to me. Right. That that was that buck's like summertime hangout. You know what I mean? It's cool to like know that a big one's in there or whatever in the summertime, but like if I'm finding a pocket of big green rubs not even big like i said before like a lot of these areas in vermont that i I mean it can be literally rubs the size of your finger if i'm finding a lot of green rubs like that and i'm seeing a big track in there that is that's money Mm -hmm. because like you you can walk a lot of miles in a lot of days and never find that high concentration of buck sign like all those miles i did this year and that spot where I killed that buck was absolutely the highest concentration of fresh rubs that I found. <laughs> and I killed a buck there. So, I mean, there was definitely something very special about that area last year. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the way I look at it. It's got to be fresh. Yep. No, you that's know, a good gotta point. It's got to be. Yeah. You remember, uh, I don't know if you've made it this far in the, in the video, in that second muzzleloader video, but this is exactly what I'm talking about too. So did you see the, 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 the drive where Ben missed and my dad missed by chance? Have you seen that one? Yes. Okay. That so, was on the first video. Uh, right? no, that was the second, yeah. the first no, the part beginning of the second of the... video. Gotcha. So I'm that far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yep. this is a great, this is a great, uh, example of what I'm talking about is John Lewis is walking up up the hill where he ultimately ends up bumping the buck after we'd already bumped him and shot at him once. And he's going into that bedding pocket, which is a bedding pocket that we kind of stumbled upon by accident. Basically somebody took the wrong route in the year before Mm -hmm. bumped him off that spot. And then we were like, Oh, well, I guess you're using this as a bedding area. So this year, John and Keith are going up the hill and they film two different rubs one or both of them have like shavings on the ground in yep. a quote if you listen closely you hear john say we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of fresh green rubs up here they saw two they didn't see they didn't see 40 they saw two oh, yeah. a lot of green fresh rubs is two yep. translates to that's, two yep. <laughs> you know i think that's yep. the part where mm-hmm. you know if i could go back in time to like you know, when I was in college and then, you know, even again, and, you know, whenever I came back basically after, before Ohio or Iowa, because I, because I lived in Ohio, moved to Iowa, and then, you know, didn't hunt Iowa anymore. Once yep. I stopped hunting Iowa, I started traveling east a lot more. And that's when I started going into these bigger timber areas. And it's like, I had to, I guess, get a refresher on the fact that mm. this does not look the same. You can't even dream it up because it ain't never going to look the same. If I could get like point out that translation to myself of like, hey, it isn't going to look like what it did, you know, back then or back there, that would be really helpful for me. And I think helped me make a lot of jumps quicker. Um, Mm. 
that's just a big, really a big, uh, learning. It's a learning for me. Yeah. 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 Definitely coming from where you started to now, like what you're getting into, Mm -hmm. I'd say you're definitely unique because usually it's reverse. Mm -hmm. Usually guys hunt the big timber and they go out to Iowa or Missouri or Illinois because they, they crave that high concentration Mm -hmm. of like, you know, instant gratification. Every time they step in the woods, it's like, boom, 35 big trees banged up over here and 65 trees over here and Mm -hmm. there's deer running all around like crazy well when you're hunting the big woods it's just simply it's just not like that Mm -hmm. you know it's it's just you don't yeah i mean go ahead go ahead oh and i have a theory in the northeast that if a buck is super aggressive chances are they just don't live that long because if a buck is rubbing every single tree he walks by all fall, I'm, I, yeah, I, and I'm not saying that the hunters in the Northeast are better. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that, but guys do pick up on stuff because we just don't have a lot of deer. Mm-hmm. So like if a buck is just banging up like hundreds of trees all over the place, he's gonna get shot. Mm-hmm. So I say it's almost like the breeding, like the bucks that are like a little less territorial or whatever you want to call it those are like the ones that live longer and then pass their genetics more that's mm-hmm. just a theory i have it's probably who knows but i think one of the interesting things that uh you know we talk up we bring up regions it's like regionally there's just so many you know you can find a lot of these things that we're talking about in different regions of a state you mm-hmm. find you also find it a lot in in southern states like to me that's a really tricky thing to figure out too is like you take those same mountains you're hunting in in the northeast where you actually get snow and then you put them down Mm -hmm. south and it's like you're doing all that just based off of some super dry sign that never is going to give you that track like i know you and i both know um oh why am i drawing chris Chris jenkins yeah yeah Yeah. he's in georgia or georgia right yeah yeah like, and he comes up he comes up to Vermont because it's it's easier because right. we get snow. Right. And, and and another thing down there too is everything's an oak tree. Mm-hmm. So if everything's an oak tree, it's just like you have no oak trees because mm-hmm. they can just walk wherever they want to walk and they look down and they have food. So it's yeah. like those guys, if there's anybody that has it the worst, <laughs> those guys in the suburb the sub the southern Appalachian Mountains those guys got it hard mm-hmm. they got it bad because yeah. like that was one of man, the they don't have a lot to go off of. challenging things that i've ever hunted i filmed keith down there in georgia in 2020 and that i mean there's a there's a long story with that that we'll tell one of these days but uh it was a it was a challenging hunt that uh yeah we ultimately hit saw just saw one buck the whole time and it was just like felt like we were banging our heads against the walls but um you know when when i think the one thing that we all i guess uh probably battle with especially us that are newer to this idea of like tracking and and specifically tracking is like Mm -hmm. are you putting more value so let's say you have a spot that you've scouted 
you ran a yep. camera in and now you're like, okay, we're two years invested or a year and a half invested in this spot. I know mm-hmm. there's deer in here. When you're yep. going to find a track, are you going mm-hmm. to a habitat type where you've seen sign in the past or a terrain feature to cut the track to like get started? What are you focusing on more? Because for me, I have a tendency to always just have to base everything off of a map. So a habitat type or a terrain feature, but would you put more weight on sign history than Mm. terrain or, or how do you look at that? I would say, you know, there's definitely areas where you'll pick up a big buck track more so than other. So like, um, I never, I'm usually rewarded when I go high. Yep. So if I'm hunting in the mountains and I go high and I can outwork other guys, usually you're you're rewarded for that. But I don't know if you remember back during the season, I told you I kind of, I felt like crap because I had only had done like four miles that one day. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, you know, you saw a big buck or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, but for me, tracking, it all has to do with the amount of miles you cover. So like for me, it's not as much about if I'm going to the right area, it's if I've covered enough ground. Mm -hmm. So like if I can do between eight and 12 miles a day, usually I can find something decent. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's mile one, maybe it's mile seven. But like, I think that's the big, that's the key for me is I don't necessarily, but when I have fresh snow, a lot of times I go to areas I've never even been to before. You know, a lot of the scouting and stuff that I do is for like the bow hunting that I hope to do and usually don't, um, or these days that are bare ground, Yeah. you know, um, because if, if you try to go into an area to cut a buck track of a buck you've scouted, he's never there. It seems like, mm-hmm. you know, he's off in Timbuktu running does doing whatever. So, so more or less, yeah, go high. If you're in the mountains, go high. That's where the big ones they they just up there a lot of times but the other thing is just man you got to cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. yep that's the key that's the key yeah and i feel like even i guess this is based off of different different types of experiences not just tracking but would you say that you agree with um kind of the idea of covering different elevations as well like like you use the example yep. of you went up and over and I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. in elk hunting or even, you know, deer hunting in different Hills, um, turkey hunting, it's like some mm-hmm. years they're way up at the top. Some years they are way down low and there's mm-hmm. a lot of mostly environmental factors, but then you toss yep. pressure in on top of it. And it's like, mm-hmm. like we could use the example of, you know, some deer love bedding up on high knobs, but if there's mm-hmm. an obvious trail that goes to the top of that high knob and people are walking, even if it's two miles from the parking lot, yep. if people are just making an easy walk down there, well, at some point they're going to move away from that spot. So it's like, that's when yep. then kind of bouncing different elevations seems to be valuable. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think also thinking how... If, if you can think, because in Vermont specifically, we're not allowed to quarter deer out. So if you can get in the mindset of 
the majority. Mm-hmm. Where can I go that would really suck to drag a deer out? That is where you'll find a big buck because if people don't ever go there, he's never going to get shot. So, you know, yeah, it, that, I, I definitely try to think like, you know, where where is it going to be the worst to drag a deer out of and, and, and go there? And a lot of times there's a big buck there or a good buck there. And, mm-hmm. You know, like that one I got this year in Vermont, it was a five-hour drag by myself uphill for like 80% of it. You know, it was terrible. Yeah. But um, it's just all part of it for me. I, I enjoy the drag just as much as I enjoy all the other parts of it. And especially, yeah, especially by myself too, because like, I always like to like test myself, you know, like, I think that's like a big thing with like trackers, like good trackers seem to be, they always kind of like this similar, you know, where they like to like push themselves and test themselves and like, so like, you got to kind of have that edge to your personality Mm -hmm. where like, okay, this is going to suck, but I'm going to do it and it's going to feel good when I'm done doing it, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. If you, when you really, when you really hit that stride, is when it feels good when you're doing it. You know, that's, that's when you're right. really on. You're like, all right, I'm oh, feeling yeah. pretty great right now. Yep, in shape, tuned up. Oh yeah. I feel like elk hunting is yeah, and even turkey hunting too is is very similar. You know, it's like, you know, you put an elk on your back. That's some work. Yeah. You know, and it's gotta be. And then you and then you add like horses. It's like, well, okay, so if yep. guys can get horses there, then they only have to pack to here. So then where can I, you know, but we don't have horses, so we're going the <laughs> whole way. <laughs> yep. And that's how you end up packing a bull out with Jake and your buddies. It's uh, 15 miles from the truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I so want to do that one day. It looks so sick, man. Oh, it, it looks. It, it changed life. But, it, but it's also just cool yeah. because, you know, just like, I mean, I'm a firm believer that all hunting you know, no matter if you're in, even if you're in, you know, you're, you're, you're Kansas or whatever that the, or Iowa, the places that are easy. It's like all that stuff really helps you become a better hunter. All experiences do, because then you can take all those things and relate them back to what you're doing in the present. And I just feel like that's really handy. And elk hunting especially has been, you know, really helpful for that. It's made me a better deer hunter by far. Like my ability to predict wind is is a hundred percent based off of being forced to learn it when calling to an elk, you know, because you mess that up enough, and you're like, all right, I gotta just f- try to learn it. And then at a certain point, you do get better at predicting it. You'll never be perfect, but you definitely get better at it. Um, when you're when you're hunting, I guess that's a, that's an uh, interesting thing from your perspective of like wind. How much? weight do you put on wind going into a hunt like are you paying attention to it on the weather are you just going and reading it as you go or how's that look for you i just never pay attention to it really i just yeah i just even when i'm bow hunting and i think mostly because i have such limited time Mm -hmm. that if i was to start worrying about wind especially bow hunting i would like never be able to hunt because Mm -hmm. i can only hunt especially during bow season saturday sunday Mm-hmm. So like if I was like picking an area and saying, okay, this would be like good on a, it'd be good on a Northwestern wind, you know, and then every Saturday, Sunday we get, we're getting either, it seemed like this year, all we had was East wind, which was really weird. Um, 
we never have east winds but all of a sudden i don't know freaking end of the world or something but <laughs> i don't know it's uh it's just weird um but yeah no I, I just don't pay attention to the wind and um especially tracking i just don't i just hopefully run up on them and shoot them before they run away <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's, it's 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 interesting because like i feel like i could never not pay attention in some way like like even if it's on the fly, I'm I'm totally comfortable with reading wind on the fly. But like again, being forced into these different situations, like over the years, it's like and having enough things go wrong, I feel like I just can't help but think about it, you know. So like uh, a couple of a couple of like I just talked with Greg about this on a on a the last one that I did, but it's like the concept of like if sun's hitting a hillside things generally move up. If sun's not hitting a hillside, things generally go down. And it's like... The thermals, right? Yep. And thermals. then you throw a predominant wind in there, and then it mixes everything up again. But like with yep. that simple idea of wind going up or down, then you can easily read, much more easily predict that predominant wind. Yep. And yep. I feel like, you know, it's just so common in like any hill country for people to just be like ah, i can't read the wind you're, you're gonna get screwed by it and it's like yep i don't believe that i believe that you so, still can predict it to the best of your yep. ability you're never gonna nail it because it's freaking wind and like yeah you can't always predict where the deer is but you can at least put a play on it and that's something that i've tried to i don't know focus on more yeah. and experiment with certainly mm. still mess up most times but it's like yeah and then you start almost to see too how the deer are using it as well and see that's what i was just going to say some food for thought is how many times do you think that when you set up for the right wind is the buck not going to come through because it's the wrong wind for him I he's going to use i got a great example of that i got an awesome yeah. story so yeah and like uh, here here's a, here's a great example and like you know this is all theoretical i suppose because it was hill, hill uh timber hills wasn't able to see mm -hmm. actually get a visual on the deer but keith and i had been hunting this area scouted our way back way out on this point and we get back there and there's this really nice saddle you know the bench leads right up to the saddle there's a high point out there there's a big creek that has a bunch of diversity down over that point. But we get to that saddle and there's just all these scrapes and rubs and mm -hmm. it looks really, really, really good. And there's also a lot of acorns right there. So it's like, you kind of have the per perfect recipe for like, I want to say it was mid October. So that evening we set up downhill of the scrape with the predominant wind, I want to say kind of coming from our right to our left, assuming that the deer were going to come off the high point and then move mm -hmm. to that scrape in the saddle, and then our wind would just, you know, obviously be perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. lo and behold, it's like right about prime time, and we hear this deer just as the wind starts to actually fall more straight down the hill. We hear this deer come down the bench, stop a few times, kind of sounds like maybe makes a few scrapes along the way, and then there he goes. 
sure enough, 10 minutes left of light, here comes a pile of does right down the pipe, right like what we thought, standing at 10 yards. Yeah. And it's like, wait, okay. So we were perfect with the wind, but in reality, yep. we were too specific about where we were setting up, and we should have just been yep. more where he was going to try to use the wind to his advantage to mm-hmm. get to that spot. And it's like that was a really uh, helpful hunt for me, like one I go back to often and think, okay, I'd rather now be in the spot that almost doesn't make as much sense as far as um, – sign goes but where we're yep. actually gonna get the shot in a bow hunting yep. or even a gun setup situation that's kind of a, a change there but yeah no and that makes sense and and when you were talking about that that made me think like your initial question a better answer to me just never caring about the wind which is most of the time the one the one time where i do care about the wind is in the heat of the moment when things are happening. Yeah. So like, let's say I, this I catch the, the buck. This is the stuff that I yeah. wanted, yeah. Isaac. <laughs> yeah. So, so like when I, when I catch the buck and I'm on the edge of like, let's say, you know, a big bank or whatever, and I have a marginal shot. If I feel the wind come across my face and it's blowing uphill and he's down below me, I'm going to wait and I'm going to get that real good shot. Boom. Tuck it right in behind the shoulder and give him one there. But if I catch that buck on the edge of the bank and I feel that wind blow right down off the back of Force my neck, it. boom, he's, get, he's getting one right then. Yep. Because, you know, I've been winded just as many times as, as anyone. And But, so yeah, so that there is a time when I worry about the wind and it's it's when the heart rate's at about 185. Yes. Now, see <laughs> that? Know, so. I see, I know, I know you're thinking about the wind. That's the type of thing. That's what I, I knew. Yeah. I, I'm, glad, yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah. – that's a good, yeah. I guess, transition into kind of that question of getting the shot off. Like mm. something that is hard for me to visualize truthfully is you're on the track. And yep. I guess I guess I'll, I'll speak on it from my perspective a little bit. It's like you yep. start to see over the years all these different examples of how deer bed. So... You know, Mm -hmm. you start to come up on that, on that rise and, you know, hopefully the wind is kind of in your favor. You feel like the deer is starting to slow down as you're starting to get up on that bench or on that little point or whatever. You see that right in the perfect spot, there's a down tree. It's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. those are the type of things that I picture seeing that deer Mm -hmm. in, but I've never walked up on that way. I've always seen them from a distance then closed in with all those factors in my favor you know, essentially stalking them or set up and they come to me. But in this situation, Mm -hmm. you're charging them because you also don't know that he's actually at that tree or if he's not still 200 yards up there or two miles. Right. So like, I guess just either in any way you want to walk me through what that looks like and like whether that be examples or um, like certain times where you start to get that, I guess bird dog feel where you're like, okay, it's about the right. The hair on the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when you're a tracker, you kind of have to you have to kind of develop a style. Are you going to be the tracker that shoots a lot of deer in their bed? So therefore, you're like the real like sneaky, methodical, 
very good at changing gears kind of guy, or you're going to be the kind of tracker that can shoot like crazy and you're going to kind of always be on the gas pedal and then you're going to make funky swings on the deer after you bump them all the time. I'm more of that guy. Mm-hmm. I definitely am the quicker guy. I shoot a lot of deer running. Um, so that's how I do it more so. I, I've killed quite a few bucks after the initial jump by making strategic swings on them. We kind of talked about that on the last podcast I did. Yep. Um, I've killed I've killed a lot on the track where I come into a barnyard, I pick my head up, and then I'm just kind of looking around, and then, oh, there he is, Jason Nadeau, boom, shoot him there. But I have shot him in their bed, too. And, you know, but you just kind of, you got to kind of identify what you're good at, mm-hmm. I think, um, if you want to become a tracker. You have to identify, are you really good at, like, picking up on the subtle details mm-hmm. of, okay... He's been walking in a straight line for three miles, and now he just turned left, and he just nipped a bud. He's right here, you know, and that's when you'd start doing the creep thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to kick him in the butt on the first go around, like, because, like, what I like to try to tell people is if you go too slow, you're never going to catch up. Mm-hmm. If you go too fast, you're going to be in the game. Because once you kick them up out of a bed, at least you know you're you're, right. you're fresh. Yep. Because you know you if you go too slow, you're never ever going to be in the game. So like I always err on the side of going too fast, mm-hmm. and I've been rewarded more times for motoring up on a deer. And like a lot of times too, I think like you can just catch them by surprise. Like if you're going up a hill real quick and you come up on a shelf and he's like, "What the heck are you doing?" You know. <laughs> bang start shooting at it you know yeah um but yeah that's it's it's all dependent on your style and i'm sure my style will change as i maybe slow down with age but like right now i shoot a lot of running deer Mm -hmm. like that's they're usually running away from me (laughs) so they're you know i got yeah i mean i It's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of similarities between tracking style and, and deer drive style. You know, oh, like, yeah. w- what do you, what is your, you know, position in the deer drive kind of depends on what you're good at, right? Like, are you good yep. at sneaking into a spot? Or are you, if you know, if we put that person as a driver, is he going to dink around mm-hmm. too long and never actually drive the deer? You know, like, that's important. Yep. And, I, and I feel like you can kind of see that in different people. And and tracking being more of an individual Mm -hmm. thing, it makes total sense of where you would find your, uh, you know, you find your style and you try to kind of focus on that. And, you know, as you're saying this, I'm like, well, I don't know what style I am because there's certain, I think there's certain situations in which I would be the guy that really slows down. But I also think there's plenty of situations in which it's like, okay, Let's just go as fast as we possibly can because I know this deer, like, here's an interesting thing about tracking to me is, like, you know, and some people, some people really get bent out of shape about this, so I don't really talk about it that much, but it's, like, when you, when you stalk, you hunt like a cat. You hunt like mm-hmm. a mountain lion hunts. When you yep. track or you deer drive... You hunt like a dog mm-hmm. and you hunt like a wolf. Yep. Yep. And like one of the things that wolves can do is they can get on a track and 
literally just wear something out. Well, yep. not every human can do that, but some can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, if You're you stick exactly to right. it enough, they're eventually yep. going to get to a point where they think that they're fine, but you were just so hard-pressed that you catch them at some point too. So it's like, I do believe yep. there's a balance, but one thing that maybe his will, will help me or hurt me in tracking is so many different experiences of bumping deer or seeing bedding sign on specific spots. I think, mm-hmm. I think that can help or hurt. I haven't made that decision yet because I haven't been in enough of those situations. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, even when I was in the Northeast tracking, I mean, the deer are doing the same thing. And while I like, I mm-hmm. totally buy into the, into the, uh, inconsistency of up there. It's like they still yep. want to be in those same terrain features. Like they want to be out on that oh, yeah. point where they can see a lot or on the high knob yep. or on the edge of a you know, steep bank. Steep. So it's like yep. if you're coming up on that and he's starting to yep. slow down, well, then I probably am going to kind of bring mm-hmm. it back a little bit, slow it down, especially if especially, especially if you've maybe bumped him and he's already bedded in a place just mm-hmm. like that two times or whatever. You know, it's like now yep. – we're slowing down the feeding is a big one too if you're gonna be the guy that shoots them in their bed like that's the biggest thing is like usually when you see that they've fed it's already too late usually they've already seen you come you know mm-hmm. but um when you bump a deer they're vulnerable mm-hmm. you know because they have and that's why i like to make those big swings on the deer and uh, because you know they're running away from you you know they're not hiding they're they're trying to get away from danger and so my theory on it the whole tracking thing is like once you bump that deer if you swing out around i mean you gotta wait anyways you gotta wait a little bit um so if you swing out around and you give yourself an opportunity to catch him trying to get away from you you know you're you're in the game but i will tell you the guys that i like idolize like the the best that have ever done it in my opinion, the guys that have the most, you know, the guys that have been the most successful, I guess that's the best way to put it. They were definitely the guys that were all gas, no breaks. Mm-hmm. It, it's just those guys get way more opportunities. The, like there's a guy in Maine doing it. He's an older guy. And that guy, I've heard stories and, and I know they're true because I know a guy that went and filmed with him this year. He'll do literally 20, 25 miles a day. And when he bumps him, he waits a little bit, but then he just keeps after him at the same speed. And he talks about how eventually a big buck will just stand there and look back like, what are you? Yeah. You know, it's all like if you if you have the endurance and you have and you have that heart and you can do it, I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I think that. I mean, that part of it is really interesting to me, too, because it's, uh, yeah, I, I guess I it, it makes total sense. At a certain point, it's like, okay, what? You know, like the I Am the I going to turn on you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember last time yeah. we talked I, about, you know, tracking specifically. I was like, I was like, I kind of feel like that makes, like, I don't fully understand the waiting thing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess I get it to a certain degree, but like. I don't know that I would really wait, to be honest, yep. most and, times. I mean, mm-hmm. I, li- I love your idea of looping around them. 
if yep. you're gonna wait. But at the same time, it's like, man, you look at how short a day is in that time of the year. It's like mm -hmm. he better be moving, mm -hmm. or you're gonna get, you're never gonna catch him. Like you said, especially those deer yep. that are just like on a mission, moving, moving, moving. To me, especially if you can keep on that track easy, and you're not getting mm -hmm. into those barnyard situations and trying to sort things out, it's just like, yeah, man, just be on him, just press, press, press. And I just, I don't know. To me, that does seem until the very end. And I think this is where yep. I guess I just have like a, my own spin on it. It's like, because of all my time still hunting with a bow, gun hunting, mm -hmm. still hunting, whatever, like that no, doesn't matter, I guess, turkey hunting, hunting a bunch of mm -hmm. cut up terrain. There's certain points where I guess this is another thing that was a learning curve, but over time we all started to realize that we were being too careless about just like, this is like the buddies that like, for example, the, the guys that I drive with, we were realizing we weren't coming around the corner or we always mm -hmm. call it going into a new world and looking yeah. enough. And I could see where a bad habit for trackers would be my head's down baby. And I'm just full yep. lower and I come around the corner and he's standing there, maybe watching me walk towards him for 15 yards. So like, yep really paying attention to like how terrain wraps and folds and drops as you oh, yeah. get into yeah. that spot where you can see more even if it's five mm -hmm. yards you're fast 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 okay these slow last down. five ten yards i'm gonna just slowly creep up over there and look and i, f I feel like you could easily make the mistake of not doing that if you're too focused on going fast or mm -hmm. staying on a track I'm assuming you yeah, do that, yeah. though. Yeah, go slow. Like when you come over different like geological areas, yeah, for sure. And um, but it, like one thing I'll I'll ask you is: Have you ever been walking out of the woods carelessly, really fast, and you just like come up on a deer that like like is like right there, and then they like run off? Oh yeah. So like I kind of have the same theory with tracking a lot of times like when I'm moving fast over up and over stuff like that sometimes I think it's especially on crunchy conditions it's you're better off being on the careless side mm -hmm. because they're going to give you that. a look yeah they're going to they're going to give you a look and then you can and sometimes they're running but you know if you're um you know I'm comfortable in my abilities I grew up rabbit hunting with a beagle I have my beagles sleeping right back here. You can see I, I'm very comfortable with shooting at a running target, you know, and, and I always hit them fairly decent. And even if I don't hit them fairly decent, um, I have snow and I have all day and I'm going to get that deer, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, and I know I'm, that's kind of, that's against so you got to convince me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but some people listening to this from a different deer hunting world, um, talking about shooting a running deer is like super taboo mm -hmm. but like from from wh where i come from shooting a running deer is like just any given day you're in the woods i mean it's just, it's, it's also just a part difference, of like it. you said there's a difference between people that have practiced enough to do it yep. and people that haven't yep. i mean yep. like <laughs> so on this topic yesterday i went rabbit hunting and i carried a 22 yep so that way i could practice yep you know only shot at one. I watched yep. the, I watched the snow fly right beside, right above him. But it's like yep. that. That to me, it's like 
you'd get you do those things you make those reps you get that comfort you shoot freehand enough like there's some people that never even should practice shooting freehand yeah it's like well we're talking about you know it's the same arguments that you could make like with a bow like some people Mm -hmm. can shoot 70 yards and just you know killed the buck every time they've ever done it some people yep. can't have never shot at a target at 70 yards so should they shoot at the deer with the bow at 70 yards no, no. <laughs> no. you know so i think yeah. a lot of it comes down to experience practice and and just confidence as well as yeah like the situation like i mean if we're if you're gonna get the perfect broadside slightly quarter two mm-hmm. shot when you're tracking you probably aren't gonna shoot that much if you're waiting for that so i just think nope, that never yeah and I just, I mean, I guess I, I understand it because I've been around enough people that have done it. I understand those situations, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, hunters are just quick to, to say, well, like, you know, well, we, we know better, you know, or, you know, we got right, it, we yeah. got it this way and like, you know, whatever. And it's like, everybody's got a different situation. And that's ultimately the most important thing to remember in hunting is like, nobody has it like you do. Mm-hmm. period and like that's just kind of the cool thing about it not to say that it's a competition because it's absolutely not it's just everybody's got a different right. situation and you know the whole yeah the whole running thing is uh yeah what brings up another thing if you're you know thinking about getting into the tracking thing which i know you are um that brings up the whole side of uh what kind of a site you're going to use i like to use a peep site a lot mm-hmm and I use a Williams peep sight with a fiber optic pin on the front. It's called a fire sight, and you can buy that separately from the Williams peep. So it's just like a red pin, like a fiber optic pin on the end of your barrel. Mm-hmm. And then I run the Williams peep sight, and I take the aperture out. So it's just a ring. And I'm, I'm good with a scope. I like shooting a scope or whatever, but... There's nothing faster than the peep sight because the the acquisition of the target is just so like when you're splitting hairs down to like you know you know little tiny moments like that are the diff it's the difference between you're dragging the buck out or you're not that peep sight in my opinion is next level when it comes to tracking mm-hmm. and a lot of your a lot of your good deer a lot of your good trackers you'll see or running a peep site because you just have that it's just that it's just that little bit faster when when acquiring yeah i've looked through some of those peep sites before and i've i've went back and forth all the time because like deer driving is is so similar right like we're, we're yep. hunting in exactly the same style and like the deer that i've i've shot on deer drives have been I guess, in my opinion, pretty damn similar to what you would experience tracking. Yep. And most of them are actually standing is the interesting part. So personally, when I look at my own experiences, it's like, okay, or, or even stuff that's happened to my buddies. It's like, okay, so what is the best route here? So I personally, I, I think part of it is my own eyes. I, I have to like really focus on beads or peeps. Mm-hmm. Like for me, yep. it's like there's too much of a focus thing that happens. So it kind of looks like what you're seeing me on the screen right now. There's a lot of stuff in the sure. way. Where I want to pull a scope sure. up, low power scope. 
I personally yep. see better that way. But something I've been thinking about the last several years, I've been using a 2.5 to 10 power scope. It's a phenomenal mm-hmm. scope. I love it. But I'm yep. really thinking I'm going to get a 1 to 6 because yep. my brother has a 1 to 4. And yep. it's like when I pull up on 1, it's like, hell yeah, that's yep. it. That's it. You can see the barrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see yeah, the, I have, they see yeah. the whole thing. It's a, the this yeah. whole sight picture is huge. And what yeah. really got me was, um, it's in that video that we've been talking about. Um, you might not be to the point yet, but I kind of make some fast-paced action stuff in the middle of it. And uh, Colin bumped a deer, and it came right up the logging road towards us. And those logging road on drives when you're in logging roads, you're in real close quarters. And this thing came past like inside of five yards and I couldn't even get to where I was ready to shoot it until it was like 10 or 15 because at five yards it was too Mm -hmm. close. And then my dad missed that buck running and he was using my brother's gun on one power. So, you know, he has no excuse. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, um, yeah, but when I'm looking at that, it's like, okay, you know, realistically, the shots that I've made on the deer, mm-hmm. they've been standing. Some of them I have yep. zoomed my scope in, but I almost yep. certainly didn't zoom it to 10 at best, no. like five. So when we're looking at yep. options for me, I think the peep, I think the peep thing is sweet. I think it's a great mm-hmm. idea. I just kind of struggle with that, like lining those things up in the heat of the moment where when I pull up a scope, especially a low power, 2.5 is good. But like I said, at a distance, mm-hmm. It gets easy, you know, it's easier at like, it's easier at 30 yards than it is at, at 15. And right. I feel like the one power is sweet because it doesn't matter if it's three or 40, you're good. Right. And then if the deer stops, even if it's at 120 or even if it's at yep. 200 yards, it's like yep. six power is pretty good. So that personally is oh, kind yeah. of what I've been leaning towards, but I don't. I have anything against the peep. I think it's a, I think it's pretty sweet. I think for me, it's just the eyes don't work that way. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, I have two, two rifles, my scope gun, it's a 1.5 by four power and I run it on two power no matter what. Mm -hmm. And, um, but with my peep sight in my brain, it's the exact same thing as my bow where I have a peep, in a pin and like when i shoot my bow all summer long or whatever i'm centering the pin in my peep and i make a good shot whatever like to me that peep sight is the exact same thing Mm -hmm. that's just the way i look at it yeah but you know i also um i do the same thing rabbit hunting i have a 1022 uh, just a ruger you can buy a williams peep for a ruger 1022 So I do a ton of plinking with that thing. And it's just like, it, it's just second nature. And like, I guess the only way I could explain it probably to people listening is when I have my peep gun compared to my scope gun, I would say the peep gun would be more like shooting uh, instinctual traditional archery, mm-hmm. whereas the scope gun is more of a compound with a pin and like whatever because like that peep sight like when i pull it up and shoot like it's just so second nature like 
like it's just everything's like autopilot like you just pick it up and you bang like mm-hmm. i don't know that's just the way i i look at it yeah i mean it makes sense i feel like whatever yeah works for any individual and to get to that right. point though because that's because that's where yep. you're ultimately trying to get it's like when you can just pull mm-hmm. up and anchor at that same point and that's where you know some some i'll pick up some people's guns and it's like the way like uh, the turkey guns are the worst it's like you pick up somebody's turkey gun they got a freaking red dot like a mile high on it and you're just like (laughs) why do you even i mean mike i'm holding it's like you're holding the gun like this you know (laughs) to me that's not natural so when i'm turkey hunting i'd rather use the bead because Mm -hmm. the shots are I, i don't know it's it's so it's such an interesting uh it is an interesting topic and and really can only be I feel like you you have to have a certain amount of like varying shots to be able to yep. really even say, you know, there's one one better option because like yep. a guy in our drive group, Shane, he shot a buck last year with a red dot. Basically the buck yep. came running off the hill, kind of stopped, shot it, made a perfect shot on it, and that was it. This year yep. it it switched. So it's like he's back to a scope, but it's, you know, so it's like yeah. even, even when something works, it's like you don't even necessarily like hold on to it. And it's a, I guess the sight thing though, specifically is a, is a cool thing to bring up because I've really, really been thinking about that recently. Like I've got my muzzle muzzleloader mm. sitting right here and I'm like looking at it thinking every day, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to get a one, one power to at least try it, sure. you know, at least try. Get, get a 22 with a peep sight and shoot that thing a lot and like just like do like the quick like quick mm-hmm. pull it up and shoot it at paper mm-hmm. like and like shoot cans and stuff i'm t- i'm telling you man if you if you get comfortable with that peep there's nothing faster yeah it's interesting though just because i've all you know i've all i've personally always had a scope with a rifle even 22s yeah. you know like when yeah. i was growing up squirrel hunting and stuff that's what we were doing but then yeah you know also shot a ton of trap and everything so it's like you have that then if you have the like if you shot a lot of trap you have that like instinctual and like that's what like when i shoot my my 35 whalen that's the rifle i have with the peep sight it does feel like i'm kind of shooting a shotgun to me like the way i pull up and shoot like it's more of a snapshot all the time it's not the like you know settle into it and shoot or whatever but Mm -hmm. I try to practice as much as I can with the 1022 just because it's way cheaper and, you know, I'll shoot steel plates or whatever. And, you know, a lot of guys uh, in the Northeast, like kind of a thing that guys do is they'll throw up like a can of soda and shoot it out of the air. This is not, you know, make sure it's in a good, you're shooting it in a safe environment or whatever, but guys shoot like soda cans out of the air with their pump rifles mm-hmm. with the peep sights yeah you know that's kind of like a thing that a lot of guys do but yeah it's uh it, it's definitely i think you would like it if you tried it mm-hmm. yeah, on I the like, tracking side of things i probably just should yeah um i actually gotta put a different speaking of sd cards like we were earlier i gotta put a different one in real quick to, to wrap up here okay but yep. just give me one sec so i actually um I feel, I feel like I should apologize. I feel like I've kind of just got to ramble in a lot on this one. So no, it's cool, my man. bad. 
I kind of no, dude, next I, thing you know we're off I, on all these crazy tangents and I'm talking about my thoughts on things more than actually asking you. <laughs> no, dude. So like I, I do a podcast too. So you know, like I've done a bunch of them. So like I feel like when we get together, it's more of like a it's more of like a back and forth instead of an interview. Right. Which I it think that's why those fun. tangents get. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 Well. I guess with this one, just for the sake of yep. like a length, I think we'll yep. wrap it up. But all right, man. You know, I really appreciate you, you, yeah, talking. And I feel like I, I feel like there's things that I, I absolutely picked up on. Love listening yep. to your experiences and like I absolutely learn from you. And then, I guess, plug your um, YouTube channel and your podcast and everything because you can yeah. certainly learn a lot from that as well. Right, yeah. So my my YouTube channel is just my name. It's Isaac Young, and um, the podcast I'm doing, uh, I, I I'm actually just in the process of changing. I was doing one, and now I'm I'm going off on my own. But the podcast is called The Big Buck Theory. So I like that. That's, what that's it is. good. Yep, that's cool. Yep, and I'm gonna just try to interview uh, a lot of just like-minded guys in the northeast that i can drive to and you know get good audio and stuff like um i'd like to get you on it too because i'd like to interview you as a midwestern guy that wants to get into tracking which you are the the unicorn of the hunting community (laughs) i'd say there's really not a there's not a whole lot of guys out there like you so basically just want to try to experience experience as many different things and places and styles as I possibly can because hunting's my favorite thing and yeah, the more you do the more stuff you do and the more experiences you get, it just the better off. Yeah, it just helps it, it yeah. just at least helps you have confidence for the next thing, you know. Yep. But I'll I'll absolutely put links in um the description of these podcasts to Um, Isaac's channel and podcast and everything so if you're looking for it don't look too far it's right in the description (laughs) (laughs) thanks man yep thanks for coming on and I'm sure we'll do another one here probably sooner than later